appreciate this this opportunity. It, it means a lot to me. I want to step back two minutes to something about Pastor Doug. He was uh, he was talking about camp and how he how he went as a as a camper. And boy, I remember those days. It was mostly fun. And uh, the most unforgettable time in all my years of that camp, 18, 20 years of going to that camp as a counselor, most outstanding memory was early on, and Pastor Doug, I don't remember how old he was, young guy, was maybe his very first year going to the camp, and at the end of the service, there would often be an altar call, and the kids would come up to be prayed for, thank you, my servant. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. And I would always go up and pray for the kids. All of us who were counselors were supposed to go up and pray with the kids who came forward for prayer. But I was selfish because I would wait while the kids are going up. And I would pray over my kids first. And then I would go pray for the others. But I'm their youth pastor and they... They're, they're mine. I, I felt like I've got to go to them first. So I would hang back. Kids are all going up. Counselors are, are going up. And when it's settling down, I would go in and I would pray for our kids, many of, of your kids, many of you. So one year, they all go up and it's settling down. No one else is moving. And then as I'm about to stand up, I'm about two-thirds of the way back on the right side. And there's a little twitching something in my peripheral, someone else is walking up. And I look, and here's this kid, this young guy who just came with us. It might have been his first year, second year. And wow, Doug's going up. This is awesome. And as I stand up and I, I go out to the aisle and I start to walk up there, I'm thinking, as he went up last, he's going to be in the back of this crowd because sometimes we'd have 75, 100, 125 kids up there to be prayed for. And I'm thinking I'm going to pray for Doug. And <laughs> this jokes me up. This is your pastor. He went up as a little kid. And he knelt down behind someone else and started praying for him. He wasn't going up for prayer. He was maybe, I don't know, 12, 14 years old. I'm a, I'm a lousy judge of age, but he's, he was younger than he is now. That I mean. <laughs> and his heart was to pray for these other kids. That just, that put a, a mark in my mind that, that'll never go away. That's who our pastor is. That's pretty amazing. Um, made it easy to, easier to put up with a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I love Doug. Doug has always been like a, like a younger brother to me. Matt, if you could put up Matthew 27, 15 through 17. We just went through our Easter season, our Easter services, and Pastor Doug did such a good job. And I want to go and, re and visit one, one portion of that, of that time of year, of that uh, season. And it's about Jesus and Barabbas. And, when they, were, and they, when they were held up in front of the crowd, and the crowd had to choose who, who they would spare and who would be crucified. Whenever I read the word, I have a habit of asking myself, why is that there? When I read it and I understand it, why am I to know that? 
God puts it in there to, to speak to me. It's not just historical. It's literal, and it's all true in a literal sense. But why does he want me to know that? Why, why do I need to know about this choice between a savior and a murderer? Seems like a pretty easy decision to me. So I like to ask myself, why is it there? And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm doing today as I go through this. The MC, the, the man leading the charge when this took place, was Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And he's actually, in, in a way, he's not the most significant character, even though he's up front and seems to be making a decision. We don't know very much about Pontius Pilate, but this we know. I'm going to read that scripture, and we're going to dissect it in a minute, but I'm just going to make a couple of references here. This we know. In verse 19, he didn't listen to his wife. <laughs> okay, why is that there? Guys, he's got these two people, Barabbas and Jesus, and one of them's going to be crucified, and his wife goes and tells him, I can't sleep at night. This is, this is keeping me awake. Something is terribly wrong. You're putting this righteous man up there. And Pilate still did it. He didn't listen to his wife. That's one thing we know about Pilate. But I like this. Pilate, when he's standing in front of the crowd, and he let them choose, he said, I see no fault in this man. And then he said, I wash my hands of his blood. And he literally, physically, had water and washed his hands. And he said, I wash my hands of his blood. And the crowd cheered back. First of all, to crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. And the crowd cheered back, his blood be on our hands and our children. Can you imagine that? And our children. We make choices and we make decisions about how we're going to live and how we're going to be and how we're, how we're going to portray ourselves. And it's carried in our children and our grandchildren, whether we know it or not. We are influential for good or for bad. We've got to take these day-to-day -day decisions we make so seriously. This is, it's rather scary. Our choices, our decisions, they have repercussion. They have repercussions. But again, this is Pilate. We don't know a lot about Pilate. The three things I want to look at are the crowd, the accusers, and the accused. Those three things. So first, I want to look at the crowd. First, I'll just read the scripture. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner who they wished, who the crowd wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. That word right there. It's called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want? Who do you want me to release to you? Jesus? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? One is called Barabbas. One is called Christ. And the question is, who do you want? So the crowd, this is Jerusalem. This is the city. This is the city of peace, the holy city. This is where it's primarily Jewish. And this is the city where everything is happening. And it's taken place at Passover. I, I tried to find out what 
approximately what the population was at that time, I got so many different numbers. Seemed like the general consensus, 50,000, something like that, which at that time, enormous city. And at the time of Passover, it would swell to double and triple that. It could have been 130, 150,000 people. So this is a massive crowd, and they are all gathered together. That's who the crowd is. Jerusalem means city of peace. The Hebrew words, the actual definition of Jerusalem is foundation or installed cornerstone. And that's Jesus. He's our foundation. He's the cornerstone, the precious cornerstone. I love that. So here's this huge community and it's all the religious and all the religious and all the people from the outlying areas that came. This, while it's literally true, that question, why is it there? The figurative part, why is it there for me? Why is it there for us? This, this trial, this setting, this crowd, it's Jerusalem, it's America, it's Wisconsin, it's Bible-centered church. This crowd is me and you. And a dog named Boo, an old song just came into my head. <laughs> Forgive me for that. But that's who the crowd is. It's us. It's not just those people. It's us. And we have a voice. And we have a vote to make. We have a choice to make. And we're accountable for our choice. We're accountable for the name we call out. Even though it seems so obvious. We've got a savior and a murderer. Pretty easy decision. That's the crowd. It's you and I. And now look at the accusers. The chief priests and the elders brought them. The chief priests, the religious hierarchy, the ones running the church, the elders a little more on the, on the natural side, uh, state decisions, Pilate, in a sense, was a governor. The chief priests represent the church. The elders, more on the natural side, more practical, in a sense, they represent the state. These two accusers are the heavenly kingdom and an earthly kingdom. They're natural and they're spiritual. They're the church and the state, in a sense. Now, I'm not here to talk about politics. I, I get disgusted with politics. They're necessary, and we have to be involved in them, and we've got we've to be responsible with it. But that's the other kingdom. That's, that's not why I'm here. So if it, there are some references, please don't get me wrong. This is not political. The religious, the holy community, they felt threatened by Jesus. They were against him. They came to him. They confronted him, the, the priests. And, and they said things like, by what authority do you do these things? And they, they came to him in the temple, the holy part of the holy building in the holy city at Passover, the holy time of the year. It's like everything is culminated, culminating. And they come to Jesus and said, who gave you this authority? Who told you you could do these things? And what was he doing? Raising the dead, opening eyes, talking about the kingdom, talking about how people can talk to God. He was kind of bypassing their, their religion 
and saying, you can talk to God. They didn't like that. They were losing control. They were afraid they would lose control. The government was more threatened by Baraba. I know it's Barabbas. Previously, it was Baraba. It depends on your translation. He was called Baraba. Later on, it was changed to Barabbas. Both the church and the state, both the religious and the natural, the government, were trying to maintain their control, trying to keep their power, trying to keep their authority, trying to put down this guy who was challenging their authority, who said he had authority. When, they, when the chief priests asked him, who do you get your authority from? They really weren't looking for an answer because they knew we are, we are descendants of Aaron, our family, our blood, we're the priests. You can't take that away, it's in our DNA. They were career priests, so it couldn't be challenged, it couldn't be disputed. So it didn't matter what Jesus said. They knew that they were priests, and they knew that he was not. They didn't really care about his answer. They were really just trying to say, you don't have authority. So the accusers were being protective. They were feeling threatened. Here's the meat. Here's the juice. The, the, the best part of the message to me. The accused, obviously, as I've said, we have... Baraba, and we have Jesus. Baraba is what he's called. That's not his actual name. That's what he's called. I did a I did a construction job for a friend recently, kind of a big job, and I walk in and he's introducing me to a few of the other people who are working there, electricians and plumbers and such, and and he's introducing me as his drywall guy. And so when I was there. I was called that. Jesus called the Christ, Barabba. He was called Barabba. I was called the drywall guy. It wasn't, wasn't my actual name. That word called is, is significant. He was an insurrectionist. Barabba had a, a gathered a crowd, he had a following, they were passionate, they were enthusiastic. They're gonna fix this country, in a sense. They're gonna make changes, they're gonna demand some changes. They were going to overthrow the government. He was aggressive that way. And in their attempt to do that, somebody was killed. Barabba was promising his followers, look, we're gonna get, we're gonna get what we want. We're gonna make changes. We're going to make a difference. We're going to make things comfortable the way we want, and we're going to make we're going to we're going to make it the way it should be. And he caused an uprising, an insurrection, and he went after it. The things he wanted, the things he said he was after, were not bad things. They're things we would probably agree with. He tried to take over, and he found himself in a war. He sacrificed for his purpose. He was demanding something of government. He was promising his people, his followers, what they want. Verse 16, it says he was called Barabbas. And if you look at his name, it's Bar Abba. His name was Bar Abba. 
Do you remember when Jesus was, he started to put together his team of, of uh, disciples? And I should have checked this out. I think it's the third one that came along. Anyway, the man came along named Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of or follower of. It, it's more it means son of, but not genetically. It's like somebody you really follow, someone who mentors you, someone who's a father to you, even though he might not biologically be your father. Barabbas was Bar-Abba. Bar meaning of. That's pretty significant. I'm going to go off track for a second on, on Simon just before I forget because I think this is really interesting. Simon, when he came along, was Simon Barjona. His real name, Simon, called Barjona. Simon means a shaken reed or a reed that's shaken like a piece of grass and the wind blows and it wiggles around. It's unstable, it's unreliable, it's unpredictable. Simon was that. Simon bar Jonah, Jonah, it was, I think it's spelled I-O-N-A-H in Hebrew, Yona. It becomes the name John later. Simon bar Jonah, so here's this shaken reed who follows Yona, who is called a wine-bibber. Funny word. Wine-bibber, someone who drinks too much and drinks too frequently. Unstable guy who follows an alcoholic. And this is Simon Bar-Jonah. And Jesus comes to Simon and he says, I'm going to call you Petra. He said, you will be Petra. Petra, like the word petrified, it's rock. You're, he takes the most unstable guy, the guy who's made bad choices and decisions and had bad, bad habits, and says, you're going to be a rock. God can change our name. He can make something out of us, regardless of the choices and the habits and the past, uh, patterns we've had in the past. He changed this shaken reed to rock. The name really means something. He was no longer Bar-Jonah. So when we see Bar Abba, we've got to look at what does that mean. And here's the most the most fascinating part to me. I was reading reading a documentation from Jewish records and Hebrew records to get a better understanding. So he's Bar Abba. Abba means father. Abba means God. He's saying he's Bar Abba. Abba is also a rock group from the 70s, but they had a different God entirely. I don't know why I say things like that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, not, I'm normally not like that. I'm just like that. <laughs> but his real name was Yeshua. His name was Yeshua Barabba. That's Jesus' name. Jesus comes from Yeshua. It's Y apostrophe Yeshua. That changed a little bit later to Yeshua. So the choices they had and the choices we have are... Yeshua Barabba and Yeshua Hamashiach, Yeshua who is called Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. Now the decision is not a murderer and a savior. It's Jesus the Son of God or Jesus the Christ. It was a harder decision than it looked like. And Barabba was really trying to make improvements in the natural. Jesus wasn't so concerned about the natural. 
He performed all these miracles that we know about, open blinded eyes, stopped ears. Uh, last, last Sunday or Sunday before in, in our Sunday school class, I said something about the miracle where Jesus prayed for a blind man and he went deaf. <laughs> I'd like to see if they're listening. But the miracles weren't really just to fix stopped ears and the miracles weren't really just to open blinded eyes. They're trying to say, look, this is natural stuff. And it's so easy to overcome. There's something bigger to deal with. His miracles weren't about eyesight and hearing. His, his miracles were to say, there's a whole other kingdom that's so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more influential, and you're in it. We're in it. There's two kingdoms. That's what the two choices are. Our choices are of the two kingdoms. And we need to frequently remind each other which one we are on and which one we're in, which one we're of. Because there's two kingdoms. And this natural kingdom that Baraba was trying to change, it's real and it matters. And politics matter. And we have to be responsible. I'm not saying get your mind so much on heaven that you... You quit going to work because you should spend time with your family. No, you got to provide a paycheck. We got to take care of things. We have to be responsible. This earthly kingdom, it matters, but it pales in significance. Jesus, boy, this is something. Jesus stood silent before his accusers. Who does that anymore? <laughs> he stood silent before his accusers. And when the chief priests came and they said, by what authority and such, and then they went to the crowd, and the crowd chose, give us Barabbas. And they were giving Jesus to be crucified. The chief priests said, I'd like to give you the verses. I keep walking away from my notes and not doing that. The chief priests said, he claims his authority is from God. Let God save him now. And Jesus said, let me get back to you in about three days on that. <laughs> they, they know we have authority. We're going to crucify him right now. Let, let God save him from that. And he did. God does the impossible beyond our imagination. Our, our thinking is so limited to this kingdom. And we've got to look higher. We've got to look past blinded eyes. We've got to consider God can do anything, even though we see there's no way it can be done. He can do anything. We get stressed sometimes over things. And when we're feeling stressed and we're feeling pressured, it's good to remind ourselves, these stresses and these pressures, that's this lesser kingdom. And they matter, especially when it comes to your, your kids, your family, loved ones. These things that stress us and they pressure us, I'm not saying ignore them. But there's a greater kingdom, and that's the kingdom that opens the blinded eyes, that raises the dead. That's the kingdom we've got to put our minds on. That's the Yeshua we have to cry out to. We don't need somebody to come and raise these speed limit signs, put in a passing lane. That's not what we need. It might be what we want. Go for it, Baraba. I'd appreciate that. Let's add another lane. Have bad driving habits. But Jesus says, put your mind in the other kingdom. Blindness, he fixed it to say, look, it doesn't even matter. He raised the dead. He led captivity captive. 
There's nothing on this kingdom that he can't handle. You, uh, you remember when he was walking with some of his disciples and another disciple came up and said, Jesus, this, this tax collector, he needs money. He says we have to pay our taxes. And I don't have any money. You have any money? I don't have any money. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay our taxes? We're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in big trouble. And Jesus said, look, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. We have to pay our taxes. So he says, I don't remember which disciple it was. I'm just going to assume it was Peter because that was his tendency. And he fished. He said, okay, Pete, go to John. He's always got a pocket fisherman in his backpack. Remember the pocket fisherman? Just take out the pocket fisherman, flip it open, go down to Lake Gennesaret, catch a fish, open the fish's mouth, you'll find a coin, you pay our taxes. I'm adding a little color to this. It didn't go just like that. But, okay, John, give me your pocket fisherman. He goes down to Gennesaret, he puts on his rapala, he throws it out there, catches a nice little walleye, opens his mouth, pulls out a coin, goes and pays the taxes. And if I remember right, the coin that he gave was about double the amount they were asking because that's the God we serve. He gives more than, more than we need, even though we see it's impossible. It's impossible to pay our taxes. We're all going to jail because none of us have the money. We get stressed over something a fish can do. <laughs> we need to remember there's a greater kingdom. There's something greater right there. Wow, and I'm looking up into a light. And now you all have spots. I shouldn't have done that. Jesus can do the impossible. He can raise the dead. He can pay your taxes with a fish. We don't have to get stressed. We have to be responsible. We have to make wise choices. But we don't have to get stressed. Since we're telling fish stories, <laughs> imagine this. So here's, here's Jonah. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell these people what I'm going to do. And Jonah goes, Nineveh? I hate those people. <laughs> Why do I have to go to Nineveh? They wear this clothes and they, they've got this annoying accent and they all want us to drive electric cars. Again, I'm adding some color to this. But he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't like these people. So he gets on a boat, and he goes the opposite direction, and he's running away. And you know the story. I'm taking you through a Sunday school class, but you know the story. The boat is rocking, and it's, it's tipping, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to sink, and everyone on it knows we're going to perish. We're going to drown. We're going to die. This boat is losing control. And somebody finds him sleeping in the basement and says, you've got to come up here and cry out to your God. We're all perishing. And he comes up and says, look, it's on me. I blew it. I'm running from God. And Jonah knows there's no fixing it at this point. I don't want you all to die. Throw me in the sea. And they didn't want to, but he says, this is on me. Throw me in the sea. I'll die. You'll live. And they throw him in the sea. And again, Jesus used a fish to fix this problem. <laughs> Wasn't a coin this time. It was a bigger fish. We get stressed over something and God goes, look, I can fix it with a fish. How are we going to feed the kids? We don't have the groceries. we got 5,000 mouths to feed. Jesus goes, look, these two little fish. <laughs> we get stressed over something a fish can fix. We've got to remember what kingdom we're on and what kingdom we're in. Barabba was all about this kingdom, and it was a real distraction because the things he was, he was saying and promising weren't bad things. He wasn't telling his followers, let's kill people. 
He was trying to do something that we would probably generally agree with. But it was only about this kingdom. Jesus stood silent because it was about another kingdom and they weren't hearing him. Barabba was trying to run a kingdom in power and might. And the word tells us it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. When we have our mind in the right kingdom and our spirit on the Lord, following the Lord, his spirit, this kingdom isn't going to stop us. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing that we get to make these choices between kingdoms and we can look at the wrong kingdom and we can get stressed. And it's real. And the kingdom is real. I don't want to downplay that. But the fact is, the kingdom of heaven is just as real. It's greater. It's mighty. God is sovereign. He's undefeated. He's holy. He's pure. He's perfect. And you're on his mind. He loves us. Why do we get stressed over this stuff when Jesus is saying, look, I could fix it with a fish for crying out loud. Look at the kingdom we're supposed to be looking at. He might not have said for crying out loud. I'm not sure. Matt, would you put up Luke 21, 8, please? I think this is really interesting. Jesus, he warned his disciples ahead of time, before this took place. He said, many will come in my name. He said, there's a couple of scriptures to this point. False Christs will arise. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. Barabba, Yeshua Barabba, came in the name of Jesus. He's a distraction. Wants to lead our minds back to the natural kingdom. Let's fix it here. And Jesus is saying, doesn't need fixing. There's another kingdom. It's already fixed. <sighs> He's so holy. Everything is really so simple but we complicate it because we're in this kingdom, the old nature. You know, Jesus, Jesus was a motivator, an encourager, a teacher, a director, the way he spoke to the crowds, the way he spoke to his disciples. He didn't go around saying, don't do this, stop doing that. He wasn't shaming, he wasn't condescending. He said, this is how you do it. You serve, you give, you lay your, your life down for a friend. You love. It was positive instructions. He was telling them what to do and how to be. It was all about going forward. It wasn't a lot of don't do that and stop that. It was here's what we do and here's how we are. Except right here when he said, oh, by the way, other people are going to come and they're going to use my name. And he says, do not go after them. I didn't do a lot of research on the do not part, but in my recollection, there's very few times where he said something like, do not. He said, follow me. He said that repeatedly. But regarding the ones who look like they're doing God's work and they say they're doing God's work, but it doesn't fit with the word and it doesn't fit with God's purpose, do not go after them. Don't follow them. We're told to follow Jesus. When something else comes along, does that, does it jive with the word? 
Does it really look like God's purpose? Or does it look like Baraba? Where, well, that's comfortable. That's convenient. Yeah, I, I think Amway is the solution to our finances. <laughs> God's going to use, I know somebody who got into one of these pyramids, these multi-level marketing things. He was pastor of a church and he's telling the church and then he's telling other churches that this is how God is going to fund his plan for the churches. He's going to bring, and it turned out the thing was a total scam. The pastor was not a scam, but the product, the pyramid scheme, it was one of those things. It looked to some like this is how God is going to fund what we are doing. This is God's plan. It was Baraba. It was all in the natural. We've got to be wise. We've got to follow Jesus. Sometimes we have to go the hard way. Jesus says, don't go after them. That's a pretty strong warning. Jesus took the Ten Commandments, all of the thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and he changed it to, he reduced it to, you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He took all those don't do it's, and he said, just do this. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. When we're lacking those things, we've probably got our mind too much in the wrong kingdom. The two choices, the two choices, Baraba, I should call them what they are, Yeshua Baraba and Yeshua Hamashiach, the two choices are the two kingdoms. And we have to choose one. And we will live with the results. And they will show up on us and in our lives. And when the crowd said, let his blood be on us and our children, which blood do you want to be on? Plead the blood of Jesus over your children. That's who we need to be. We need to be of that kingdom. We can't get so stressed over this kingdom, whether, again, like I said, whether it's politics, because that's such, a, uh, such an issue these days. It's so divisive. It separates, separates Christians from Christians. It separates family from family. That doesn't sound like Yeshua HaMashiach. That sounds like Yeshua Baraba. If we got our minds on the right kingdom, we have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We've got to maintain that. If we're losing it, we better re reassess which kingdom we're spending our time in. They're walking out on me. So not everybody was very clear on which Yeshua to follow. We have the Holy Spirit. Hamashiach. I remember a Wednesday night a year or two ago for church here, and Clayton rode down, rode down here on a Hamashiach 650, I think. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a motorcycle? Hamashiach. When we look at these, these two choices, one took a life for his purpose. One laid down his life because you're his purpose. That should make our decision pretty clear. One focused on the government, one focused on the governed, focused on us. One demands something of government, one requires something of you and I. They're two different motives. They're two different kingdoms. Uh, Matt, I don't know if I gave you this verse or not. John 18.36. If not, I'll pull it up right here. I think I might have 
neglected to give it to it. Look at there. Wow. I spake it into existence. When Jesus was silent before his accusers, the only, the only thing he said is when Pilate said, they say you're the king of the Jews. Is this true? And Jesus' response was, yeah, I am. No, it wasn't. His response was, it is as you say. You said it. That's the way it is. Jesus just said, that's the fact, Jack. That's the way it is. But that's all he said. This is what he said to the chief priests. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, Baraba, my servants would fight, so I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. His kingdom is not of this world, and we are of his kingdom. We are his children. We are in the kingdom of God. I love that we can come together every week in this building and remind each other which kingdom we're in and which kingdom we're only on. We've got to keep that straight. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus already made his case. He already proved his point. He already proved his authority. The priests, the religious, they rejected it. But like I said, Jesus said, I'll get back to you in three days. What were those chief priests thinking three days later when they said, if God's his authority, let God save his life, and three days later he did? What were they thinking? I don't want to be them right then. That's <laughs> scary. Jesus never said he was the king of this kingdom. He's the king of kings. He's the holy one. He's the sovereign one. He's the mighty one, the righteous one. Undefeated, even when they thought they defeated him, he rose again. Looking for my wife. Boy, I haven't done that for 30-something years. <laughs> well, if the musicians would make their way up here, I'll try to stop talking soon. Jesus is not the king of this kingdom. He's the king of kings. He's the king of that kingdom, the kingdom we're to be about. And again, it seems like a pretty easy decision between a murderer and a messiah, but it wasn't that clear. And here's the scary part. Here's, here's what can be concerning, and here's the, one of the answers to that why question. Why is this in here? Why do we need to think about this? Why do we need to know that? Second Corinthians says the enemy, Satan, comes as an angel of light. Barabbas came as an angel of light. It looks like that's what God's doing, but it doesn't fit with his purposes. The enemy is a deceiver. His offerings are appealing. Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's the one tree they're supposed to stay away from. There wasn't the horrific-looking red face with the horns holding up, I don't know, what's a really bad food? <laughs> holding up creamed peas. He was holding up, we say the apple, he was holding up fruit. What, he, what the enemy offers is usually appealing. It's usually attractive. It's Baraba. What he offers doesn't look bad but it's a compromise. It'll take us away from righteous, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. He offers a distraction, but we've got to keep our focus. We've got to keep our focus. 
Adam and Eve were in a garden full of fruit trees. It's not like they were going to do without if they didn't take it from the enemy. And when the enemy persuaded him, he said, well, if you take this, you'll have knowledge. You're going to know more. You're going to understand. We, we didn't need that knowledge. We didn't need that awareness. We need to know about, about the right kingdom. Jesus said, no one takes my life, I give it freely. He laid it down. It wasn't Pilate's decision. It wasn't the chief priest's decision. It wasn't the elder's decision. They were pawns in it. But this is all fulfilling prophecy. Jesus laid it down. The church back then, these chief priests, they were manipulative through guilt and through maintaining their religion, the process, everyone had to follow these procedures. Jesus isn't here to make anybody feel guilty. We should just feel gratitude. His life wasn't taken and it's your fault. That was kind of my, my first impression once when I saw a Bible in our house and I didn't know what it was. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. And I saw a Bible and I asked my mom, what, what is that? All of a sudden, it was on our coffee table. I never did find out why. There was probably someone to come in to visit, and mom and dad wanted to look better. I don't know. But there is this Bible. What is that? And my mom said, explain, it's a Bible. It's about God. And, and I, don't, I don't know anything, anything about this stuff. And I asked her a couple of questions. My mom was raised Catholic. They didn't go to church, but she was raised Catholic. So she had a, a little bit of understanding. And she said, well, God's son was Jesus. And this isn't how she said it, but this is how my young ears heard it. And we killed him, and it's our fault, so we're supposed to feel sorry. <laughs> but that's not what happened. He laid it down as a gift. He laid it down freely. All we should feel is humility and gratitude. He gave us a gift, a remarkable gift. And then he was raised again. God's got his back. God's got your back. Jesus has your back. His eye is on the sparrow. No matter what you might be stressed over or frustrated about or unsure of, those things are real. And we have to walk in this kingdom. But Yeshua HaMashiach, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. They said in that verse earlier, they said he's called the Christ. But that's not what he said. Remember when he was talking to the disciples and he asked them, he said, who do men say that I am? And they, and they responded, some say John the Baptist, some say, and they named a few of the prophets. Men say that you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And the answer was, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Not you might be or you're called, he is the Christ, the Son of God. If he's your Savior, if he's your Lord, you're in that kingdom where death won't stop us. There is no blindness. There is no deafness. We can see. We can hear. We get it. It's given to us. It's a gift. It's free. It's such a remarkable thing. When I remember how my life changed when I accepted Christ, I stepped from that kingdom to that kingdom. 
It's, it's such a remarkable thing. A couple more points, but they're complicated. I'm not going to touch them. I think all we need to, to know today is that God wants us to be aware that there's two kingdoms, and they're both real, and they're both right now. Our salvation isn't for when we die. It's the kingdom we're in right now. He heals us. He delivers us. He raises us up. There's no limits. I want to read you one more portion of scripture and close with this. From Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And what it's really saying is if, if God is for us, if we're in this kingdom, it doesn't matter who's against us. He's sovereign. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. It wasn't Pilate, it wasn't the chief priests, it wasn't the elders. God delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's got what you need. He is what you need. The enemy can distract us with what we want. He is what we need, and he's got what we need. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's where this all began, charges against God's elect. All it did was prove his sovereignty. We watched him raised again. God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who also intercedes for you. He intercedes for us right now. It wasn't back then. It's not for the whole church. It's for you. He's interceding for you. Something stressing you? Something difficult? I'm not saying those things aren't real, but Jesus is interceding. And he overcame death. He can probably overcome your issue. I shouldn't have said probably right there. <laughs> it's a guarantee. He intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, taxes, relationships, careers? <laughs> what are you dealing with? Will it separate you from the love of Christ? In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. The only trap door is us. Our thoughts feed us. But if we take them captive, take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus, if we keep our thoughts in the right kingdom and look at the word and know that it's literally true and the why, it's written for us, it's written for you. That's what we need. One of the first songs, pointing at my son, that's my son, kind of proud of that guy. One of the first songs we sang today, one of the songs we sang, I think it was the third song, it said that he came as a savior and he came to be our Lord. I might be misquoting it a little bit, but I remember looking at those two words. He's a Savior, and he's a Lord, and those are two different things. 
salvation, the day you give your, your life to Christ, the way you say, yes, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I've cried out Barabbas when it's Hamashiach. I'm sorry, forgive me, I repent. Cleanse me of my sins. That day he becomes your savior. The other word, Lord, that's when we submit. Is he Lord over you? You can get saved and not let him Lord over you. That's staying in this kingdom. That's crying out Baraba. But salvation, when he's your savior, and then let him Lord over your life. Let him Lord over your decisions. Keep your mind in that kingdom. He becomes Lord. Blinded eyes are open. Deaf ears are open. It's just open stuff. <laughs> it's really pretty simple. So I just want to pray in closing. And I also want to state, if you're at that point of decision, you're wrestling with the stresses, even though you know of the different kingdoms, feel, feel free to contact me or come up at the end of the service if you'd like us to speak with you, pray with you, or elders are here, or myself. <sighs> because we really do have stressors and issues, but the kingdom of heaven doesn't. That's where we need to put our minds. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us why you said and did the things you said and did, and that it's all accomplished in perfection. There were no fails in the Bible. Thank you, Father, for saving us, for cleansing us, for setting us free, for helping us to keep our minds and our hearts and our spirits in your kingdom where there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for blessing this people, your church, Bible Center Church, the individuals, for interceding for us, for speaking to us, for letting us hear your voice, walk in your ways. Be glorified in us, Father, everyone. Be glorified in us. Let us represent you well, because you are sovereign and holy and pure and powerful and perfect. We praise you, Father, for this time, for all of this, in Jesus' name. Amen.